0: Welcome to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe another world is still possible and that together we have the power to make it happen. In our first podcast we explored our proposition that evolution happens in any species when it's under extreme pressure and that for us this moment is as extreme as we hope it's ever going to get and therefore we believe that the next evolutionary step is ripe to happen, and it could be one of consciousness, consciously chosen. On top of that, we looked a bit at complex systems, that human beings are complex systems in and of ourselves, that human societies are hyper complex, and we have a global society that is interconnected now in ways that have never happened before in the entire evolution of consciousness. Open systems like ours, reach a particular level of complexity at which point their route forward bifurcates and they either collapse into chaos and extinction which we all know could be round the corner or they break through to a new level that was entirely unpredictable from the perspective of the previous state. So we'll make a podcast later down the line about complex systems and emergence and how it happens and what happens and what we think might happen But at the moment, the take-home message is that we believe that conscious evolution could be the emergence from complexity of our time and that it's totally worth working for. My baseline, our baseline, as we said before, is that the worst that can happen is that we become the best of ourselves in the process of trying to do this. And the best that can happen is that together, The sum of our whole of what we become is so very much greater than the sum of our individual parts. The problem with all this is that, by definition, we cannot map out what this future will look like or exactly how we're going to get there. No problem is solved from the mindset that created it. But what we can do is change our mindsets. That is within our grasp. That is part of neuroplasticity. It's part of what we know that we can do. And therefore, we can set a framework for how to reach the places that we think we need to get. And that's what we're doing here. In Accidental Gods, we're suggesting four steps to get us from where we are now to a place where conscious evolution is just the next iterative step in a process. Something where whatever that leap is, it's Beginning to become obvious from where we get to. So, today in this podcast, I want to look more deeply at the first of those four steps. And this is the one that is absolutely key to everything else that we do. And this is connecting to the natural world. We could call it all kinds of things. David Abrams calls it the more than human world. Some people call it the other than human world. It's an extension, perhaps of the all that is, and we might do a podcast one day looking at the ways that we frame this, because our framing and our language is really important. I will be calling it mostly the web of life, and we'll look in a moment at why that is the case, but I might call it the natural world. And I would really like to open up a discussion in one of the webinars of what works for us in terms of framing, what works for us as a group, so that we can begin to establish a common language that evokes the sensations that we're working towards. So, connecting to this, the thing I want to say at the start is that this is part of our heritage. It really is. Our disconnection from the rest of the all that is, the living world, the web of life, is such a recent event in the evolution of humanity. It's possible that it was necessary, that somehow we needed to cut ourselves off Get us to where we are now. I can't think why that might be the case, but it may be that somehow in our disconnection we have managed to create things that we otherwise wouldn't have done that are useful. I struggle with that one, but if any of the people who have the near death experiences are correct, then we have to believe them that where we are now is exactly where we need to be. And the bottom line is. This is where we are now. We can't change it. We have to work with what is. And what is, is our disconnection. Our ability to behave as if we as individuals and we as a collective species, a culture, a society, are separate from the world around us. And we're not. We definitely aren't. And we have to reconnect. That's what This first part, we're calling it awakening into connection. We perhaps ought to call it reawakening into connection. Because there was a time not too far back in the ancestor lines of each of us when there were people who knew how to connect heart to heart with the web of life, with everything else around us. And there are people still alive today who know how to do this. There's a lovely book called The Other Side of Eden by Hugh Brody, who was an anthropologist back in the 70s. Um, And he describes living amongst the first peoples of the northwest in the US. And there's a particular moment he describes when he was told one night as he went to bed that he had to get up at four o'clock the next morning because the elk had come. Everybody gets up at four and we're going off because the elk are here. This is a hunter foraging, forager hunter society. So he wakes up at four and everybody else is completely fast asleep. And he shakes somebody awake and they look at him like he's completely crazy and go, you have to go back to bed. The elk are not here. And sometime between everybody going to bed and four, they all knew this because nobody else had got up. So he went back to bed and he went to sleep and, sometime half a month, a month later, he's shaken awake at four in the morning and everybody else is up and the elk are here and how could you not know? Um, And he throws on some clothes and he gets ready and he goes out and they start to walk. And they walk for three days. And I think my memory gets a bit hazy at this point and I haven't gone back and found the exact reference. I will do at some point if anybody's interested enough. Um, They walked for three days and he was not up for walking for three days. I think they had to make a litter and drag him along at some point. But the point that I really want us to take home is they knew that the elk were there, three days away, and that that's what there meant. All of them. From the children upwards. And everything that we know about the shamanic societies that still exist on this planet, and heaven knows that our culture is doing its very best to annihilate them, they are living in context with the world around them. So the thing we have to know is that we can do this. It is part of who we are. If you look at newborn children and watch them growing, they are little forager hunters. We are born as this. The domestication process is what separates us. And because it happened in our lifetime, we can undo it in our lifetime. So what we're trying to do, what we want to do, the aim of where we're going, is to connect to the web of life, the greater than human world, the other than human world, whatever we collectively decide to call it. And I think that's one of those things that's easy to say. And it's not easy to do, partly because we haven't got an image of what that would feel like or even what it would look like. So I do have an image for you. When I did the meditations that led up to this podcast, we've had a year pretty much of going up the hill, doing the asking for help, meditating with the fire, doing all of the work that we're going to share with you to try and reach a point where we could construct a framework that would make sense at some level to everybody. And a number of images came up in this process. And one of them was the very clear image of the Earth as seen from the moon, that picture that we all got, we've all seen of the blue pearl of a planet swimming in the blackness of space. But in the vision, in my vision, it's surrounded by a fantastically intricate web of light. Sometimes it's moonlight, sometimes it's sunlight. It depends when I'm having the vision, when I'm doing the work. But the point is there are millions, millions upon millions, of strands of living energy interweaving in this extraordinarily complex pattern around the globe. And at every crossing point, every point where one strand crosses another or multiple strands cross each other, this is a node of consciousness. And for me, this isn't just the obviously sentiment, conscious brilliance of the humpback whale or the red kite or the fox or the toad. This is about me and us, recognising the consciousness in a rock, or a river, or a tree, or the mycelial mat on the forest floor, or the bacteria of the microbiome. In this image, everything from a single cell to a mountain has consciousness that we can connect with. And this is my image. And yours might be different. There are loads of models of consciousness, from the panpsychist, animist kind of model I've just given you, to the hardcore Cartesian materialists who seem, as far as I can tell, to have solved the hard problem of consciousness by saying that it doesn't actually exist, Uh, which is to say they're saying consciousness doesn't exist, not that the hard problem doesn't exist. Uh, We will do several probably many severals, of podcasts on consciousness because I think, partly because I'm a neurogeek and I think it's really interesting and Faith is doing uh, an online degree programme on the nature of consciousness, so it's something we talk about quite a lot. So I'm not going to go into it in a lot of detail here, but the hard problem of consciousness, which will come up now and again, I have no doubt, is the question of how can the consciousness that we experience at every level of our lives from deepest meditation to widest awake, full beta worrying about the election. How does that happen? How does that arise from a network of physiology and biochemistry and neurons that are physical matter? How does consciousness arise from physical matter, particularly when some of the most exciting features of our consciousness seem to occur when our brains where most of us think the seat of our consciousness might be, to the best of our ability to measure them seem to be non-functional. So near-death experiences. If anyone has read Eben Alexander's book, I can't remember, Gateway to Heaven, something like that. He was a neurosurgeon. He got bacterial meningitis. He ended up in the ICU on a ventilator and When everything that we can measure about his brain function had effectively flatlined, they said to his wife that they were going to switch him off. These were his friends. And his son got on the bed and opened his dad's eyes and said, Daddy, it's going to be all right, over and over and over again. And he came back. And he describes in absolute detail his experience of his near-death experience. And I've been very sceptical of near-death experiences until I read that one, I think because I resonate quite well with a neurosurgeon. And he was so obviously very confused about how the strongest and clearest and most detailed memory of his entire life happened when every measure of his being was flatlining. So that's, that's an aside. You see, I've gone into consciousness already. I didn't really mean to, but it probably doesn't hurt. What matters to all of us at every moment, and particularly in this work, is our direct experience. If your direct day-to-day experience is that only humanity is conscious, then go with that until or unless it changes. My day-to-day experience is that the rocks and the trees and the river and the red kites feel conscious to me, but I am not putting that on anybody. What matters is that we can all build relationship, And that's a different thing. It doesn't require consciousness. It requires the ability to relate. And that goes across whatever your belief system is. So what we're aiming for here in this reawakening into connection is learning to open ourselves to everything else around us. Learning to become aware of our heart minds, learning what it feels like to be playing that part in that complex web wrapping around the world. Because when we can do that without projection, without ego or self-judgment or judgment of others or fear, and letting go of each of these is part of the next step, which we'll look at in the next podcast. But when we can make that connectedness clearly and cleanly, then we can take our place whole as fully competent human beings, able to say, I am here. I am in the right place, at the right time, being all that I need to be, being all that only I can be, ready to take my place in this evolving web of absolute, total complexity, What? do you need me to do? Or if we want to rephrase that, what is it that is wanted of me now? And there's a huge liberation to this, to letting go of having to have all the answers, of this bizarre idea that humanity is here alone, isolated, and that somehow from the very odd, individualistic place that we've got ourselves that we could have all of the answers or that it's necessary that we have all of the answers. If we can accept that we are astonishingly, amazingly creative, conscious beings, we are the product of millions of years of evolution of consciousness. We might not be the only product. I would be really surprised if we weren't going to find out that at least whales are every bit as conscious as we are, but we know that we are conscious. And we are definitely one product of this entire planet's evolution of consciousness. That is true. But it does not follow that sorting this out is our job. It might not be our job. Our job is to be who we are in the right place, at the right time, open, to whatever comes, flexible enough that we can act in the moment, clear, clean, unhampered by shoulds and oughts and musts and ideas of what else we might be doing, so that we can do what we are here to do that nobody but us can do. And I know none of this is new. This is not a whole new, brilliant, polished idea that we have come up with. This is in every spiritual path that our planet has ever known, that we know of. But we need to refind this now, because we lose this, this sense of it's okay simply to be. We are a culture of doing and of having and of taking and of making stuff happen. And, and we're back to the circle of, yes, this has got us to here, but I think we need to take at least some time out of our days now to be, to learn what it is to be and to be able then in that beingness to hear, to feel, to sense, to perceive our connectedness and from that connectedness to be able to step into whatever it is that we can become. So to say that again more tightly, part of our becoming the best of ourselves, of being the best that we can be, is learning to step into the power of being and stop with the with the heart-blinding terror of thinking that we have to find answers on our own. Because I really don't think that we do. And yes, this is easy to say, and yes, it is harder to do. But speaking as someone for whom this has been a lifelong quest, and I have taken a lot of blind alleys and rabbit holes and sidesteps and long periods of thinking I had to make stuff happen. Letting go of that is an extraordinary release and relief. And there is something that fills that gap. It does happen, but it does take time. We live in an era of instant gratification and, and this is not part of that model. We need to make a conscious choice to build the habits of connecting just as we all need to build the habits of coherence and focusing our attention into clear, crisp intention. So a lot of what we're wanting to do with the Accidental Gods membership program is build a habit of building habits, learning how connection might happen and how to begin to open those doors because if we can lay a really solid foundation, then the upper stories go up faster. That's a really bad metaphor. I will think of a better metaphor. But the workbook that I spent last week writing is about how our habits formed? What are the behaviours that are habits and how do they become automatic? So that we can build the habits of connection. Because I've said this before, I will say it again. The time we can step out of the door and look up and greet the rain as an old friend. Or even as a new friend, even as something that we can begin to build a relationship with. Because deep, core, heartfelt relationships don't happen overnight. We build them bit by bit, trust by trust. We ask a question, we kind of think we might hear an answer, we act on it. And it turns out that our life flourishes that little bit more. And then the next time we ask the question, we sense, we perceive the answer slightly more clearly. And then it might be that a question is asked of us and we don't necessarily hear that first time or clearly. A lot of this is feeling our way through the fog. It's like writing a novel. A long, long time ago, Faye Weldon said, I was on a workshop with her, that writing a lo- novel is like driving a car in the fog. You can only ever go as far as the headlights can see. But when you have got there, the headlights are seeing a little bit further. And it's only when you get to your final destination and you look back that the landscape is clear. And that's not a bad explanation of emergence from complex systems or of the process that we're undergoing to try and connect. We go as far as our headlights can see. And when we get there, we go a little bit further. And one day we're going to turn around and look back. Even a year from now, we're going to turn around and look back and the pathway will be clear to us that we have trodden, that was not clear to us in the process of that treading. So a lot of this is going to be a leap of faith, and there's nothing that we can do about that except to say that for us, for me, it has been worth it, and I believe that it will be worth it for you too, or I would not be doing this. So that's it for this podcast, reawakening into connection. It matters. We can do it. It's not straightforward, but my goodness, it's so rewarding when the connection begins to happen. So next podcast, we will talk a little bit about the second step, the what we're calling growing into coherence, letting go of our stuff, learning how to focus intention. Until then, thank you so much for listening this far. And thanks to Caro C for being an absolutely stellar sound engineer. You have no idea how much work she puts into getting these podcasts in a way that sounds worth listening to. Thanks also to Faith Tillery for designing the website, for designing the entire technology behind the membership program, which also, my goodness, is so much more complicated than I understood it would be at the start a year ago. She's also the co-creator of this idea. She is the sounding board and the input and the filtration and everything that makes it work. So if you want to read more of her stuff or my stuff, or if you want to join up with the membership program, You will find us at accidentalgods.life on the web. And at some point quite soon, probably before you hear this, we will have created at Accidental Gods on, on some of the less toxic social media. I'm going off social media at the moment, but we probably need at least Facebook. And if you like the sound of everything that we have planned, please subscribe to this podcast. Give it five stars and a review on the podcast app of your choice because it helps us to spread the word. And the only way we are going to change the world, all of us, is by sharing what matters with the people we care about and who care about the things that we do. So tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your family, tell your local Extinction Rebellion group and the activists you meet out on the streets. Tell anyone and everyone you know, who wants to be the best that they can be. Because it doesn't matter if you come to this in the beginning because you want to find true love or at least sort out your relationship, or you want to find a better job, or you want to move to a safer country, or whatever it is that you want to sort in your life now. We all come to this wanting change. And in the end, all routes to true change, I believe, lead in the same direction. Because we are the chaos on the brink of either extinction or phase shift. And I do believe that we can do this. So thank you very much. I will talk to you next time. In the meantime, we can make change happen. Thank you, everybody.